0: Everybody. Good to see you all again. Uh We're going to dig into that passage. So, please keep your Bibles over. We're going to dig into that in just a second. So okay. I've done that once before. Here we go. Woohoo! G'day, everybody. And uh, thank you, Mitch, for the reading. And that is nice and loud, isn't it? How's everyone's ears? <laughs> Well, keep your Bibles open, is what I was saying. We're going to be digging into that passage in just a second. I thought that what we do to start with, though, is I just ask you a bit of a question uh, to kick things off, and that is to try to think of somebody uh, you know who is really good. You know, try to think of a really good person. So just do that. Anyone coming to mind? Now, I want you to try to think of somebody that you know of, at least, who you think is a really bad person. Okay, I wonder if anyone comes to mind then. I'm kind of guessing that for many of us, someone probably came to mind in in both categories because it's it's easy sometimes to think of other people, even if unconsciously, on a bit of a scale, almost like a, a bell curve, you know, from from really bad people to really good people. And then when it comes to ourselves, uh, to our own righteousness to, or to our own goodness, uh, to compare ourselves to other people on that curve. And although we mightn't be you know, as bad as some, as long as we're, as, well, we may, may not be as good as some, I should say, but as long as we're not as bad as most of them, to think of ourselves as okay, you know, to put ourselves on the right side of that curve and to give ourselves a pass or a big tick, in terms of, you know, being a good or a righteous person. Now, I think that's kind of human nature. And with that human tendency in mind, I want us to turn to our current series in Luke 15 to 19, because here in the Bible we discover that God, He doesn't have a sliding scale of goodness when it comes to people. That God doesn't grade people on a bell curve, you know, from really good to really bad. He doesn't do that. Instead, God has only two categories. Uh, he has lost or found. He has righteous or unrighteous, good or not good, sinner or sinless. That's how God thinks of humanity. Now remember the, the key verse in this series, and perhaps in all of Luke's Gospel, is Luke 19:10, that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. Well, God's message. For the lost in today's passage is simply this, I think, how to respond if you want to be found. And throughout this this passage that Mitch read to us, there's three episodes, and Jesus here answers three kind of interrelated, almost synonymous questions. And they are firstly, how to be right with God, how to inherit the kingdom of God, and how to inherit eternal life. So please keep your Bibles open. We're going to be kind of digging into this text and we'll just take one question Uh, or each question one at a time okay so firstly first question how to be right with God or how to be counted as righteous before God or in the sight of God these are important questions let's have a look from verse 9 to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else Jesus told this parable okay it's very important that we stop here because it's 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 key to note who Jesus is talking to. Okay, he's talking to those, who it's, it says, who are confident of their own righteousness. Okay? So on the bell curve, they think they're pretty good. Righteousness, so being an attribute, an attribute that the Bible actually uses of God. It means holy, it means good, it means right, it means without sin. But in relation to everybody else except God, the Bible says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible clearly tells us. But some people, it seems, and many people, I would would, would suggest, just clearly don't accept this. Because in spite of that, they still see themselves as righteous or as good people. They have that kind of view of themselves and of humanity Maybe because of the good deeds that they do. Maybe because of their high self-esteem. Maybe because of their religion, and their religious observance. Maybe because of their activity in church ministry. uh, Maybe even some of us, or many of us here this morning, feel that way about ourselves. Well, Jesus is addressing such people here in this passage, in this first bit. People who literally trusted in themselves and in their own righteousness. And Jesus is not kind of talking about them, he's talking to them, he's looking straight at them and he tells them this parable, a parable which they are in, a parable in fact which we are all in, every single one of us is in this parable because deep down we're all one or the other of the two men in this parable and so as we look at it, and it may be a familiar parable to you, I want to say listen up, listen carefully anyway because As you look at it, ask yourself, who am I truly like? Which of these two men? Because only one of them goes home from church that day right with God. And we don't want to be deceiving ourselves about whether we are, in fact, right with God. So from verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. That's the two men. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. He said, God... Thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. And so you, this first guy, he's very religious. Okay? He's a Pharisee. He is devout. He's super committed. He prays and he, and he fasts and he gives and he does all of those things a lot. And other people around him see him as really impressive, you know, really upright and really godly. And he's really, really, really impressed with himself too. So much so that on that kind of bell curve, compared to others, he grades himself way up the right end of the curve. Okay? But herein lies this guy's problem. He compares himself to other people, which makes him feel righteous in his own eyes. He compares himself to other people when he should have been comparing himself to God. Okay? The, one, the only one the Bible says is righteous and if he'd compared himself to God, he'd have viewed himself as anything but righteous in the sight of God. He said, this Pharisee, if he had just been honest with himself and really understood himself rightly before God, he wouldn't have compared and condemned this tax collector that came into church into the temple that day. He'd have had compassion on him. You know, he'd have realized that that they both needed to be there in church that day for the same reason: for their unrighteousness, for their sin, maybe for different sins. You know, the tax collector maybe for his greed and for his for his moral corruption. The Pharisee maybe for his his self-righteous pride and for his religious corruption. But either way, they're both there for the same reason, for their unrighteousness. He have seen the tax collector, you see, as just like himself, as just another sinner in need of the grace of God. But he doesn't. He doesn't see him that way at all. Instead, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like him. Well, let's take a look at him, the tax collector look at what he's like verse 13 but the tax collector stood at a distance he wouldn't even look up to heaven but he just beat his breast and he said god have mercy on me a sinner and then jesus says something that would have been absolutely shocking to the jewish audience that he's talking to he says i tell you that this man the tax collector rather than the other went home justified before God. Okay, that between the tax collector who the Jews just kind of despised as, you know, traitors and thieves and and the Pharisee who the Jews just loved and admired as exemplary and godly, only the tax collector of the two left church that day right with God. Only the tax collector left righteous in the sight of God. But we've got to understand why, though. Because Jesus is using this, this tax collector here to show the Pharisees and to show each and every one of us how to be right with God. And, you know, it's a very important question. And so let's, let's pay very close attention to what he's saying to us here. Firstly, that in contrast to the Pharisee, the tax collector, as we've already said, doesn't compare himself to others. Okay, because he doesn't do that, he, considers, he doesn't consider himself as righteous. Instead, what he does, what he, he comes in and he just humbles himself. He humbles himself before a righteous God. And because he's honest about his own condition, his own moral and spiritual corruption, he really genuinely feels the guilt of his sin before God. He feels it. And so in his distress, he, he he beats his breast. You know, he hangs his head low and he just simply comes clean before God. No pretense, just comes clean about his own sin. Secondly, that in contrast to the Pharisee, the, fa- the tax collector doesn't come offering God anything, you know, like a resume of good works. He doesn't do that. Instead, the tax collector comes in here completely empty-handed, And just simply asks God, God, have mercy on me as a free and an undeserved gift. You see, he knows not to look to himself for righteousness. He knows to only look to the righteous one, God himself. It's very important. And take a look at the way Jesus finishes this parable. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And you know, these are words that not only sum up this parable, these are words, if you know your scriptures, that are so common in scripture. These are words that are so key to human living, to our life on this planet. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so to answer you know, this first question, how to be right with God, well, Jesus uses the tax collector here in this story to, to answer it quite simply. Be honest about yourself. You know, come clean and bow humbly before God and say, and simply say or cry out to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that leads to the second and related question that Jesus answers here, how to enter the kingdom of God. Look with me from verse 15. People are also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the little children to him and he said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And how fitting it is here that Luke follows a story about humility with a story, with a story about little children. You know, they fit nicely together, don't they? And I wonder if you can picture this scene. You know, Jesus has got massive crowds following him. There's, you know, so much attention some centering on Jesus. And then people are bringing all these little kids to him. I'm imagining there's this long line of kids that are being brought to Jesus, maybe like a, a queue at a shopping mall to see Santa. And while there's stacks of things we could we could say, lots of observation, observations we could make, I just want us to zoom in on verse 17. Just look at verse 17 where Jesus says this. He says, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And again, this fits Really neatly with the parable that he's just told because he's saying in order to receive God's mercy, okay, in order to be right with God, in order to enter God's kingdom, we need to be like little children. We need to be childlike in our dependence upon God. And I don't mean childish. He's not saying we need to be childish, but we need to be childlike. Now if you've had a if you've had a baby if you've ever had a child, and I've had a little bit of experience with this, once, once you bring a child home from the hospital, and I've, this is what I've found each time, especially with the first one, once you bring a child home from the hospital and you walk in your front door that first time with that little baby and you kind of put the baby down, you, it really hits you that this child is completely dependent upon you for everything. You know they are completely dependent for their food, for clothes, for shelter, for provision, for protection, for everything. My little, my my youngest child, my little daughter Coco. She's only one, and she, you know she can't provide for herself. She can't protect herself. She can't contribute. She can't bring any any good works to kind of earn her way in our family. Um, she brings nice smiles and beautiful cuddles and that kind of thing, which is wonderful. But all she can do is simply trust Lee and me to, and and really depend upon us to take care of her, and, and to look after her. And you know, it's re- it really, truly is like that for each of us and God. It's easy, you see, I think, for us as adults to just not see ourselves like children, uh, to to again like the Pharisee who's proud and self-righteous and. to to not see ourselves like kids, but to think of ourselves as independent, you know, self-sufficient. We're self-made people. We don't need to depend on anyone any longer. We're not little kids anymore. But no, it doesn't matter how old you are, how self-sufficient you are. God wants each of us like little children, like little children to depend upon him to see ourselves rightly before Him and to just depend, not only for our next breath, and you know what? We only breathe our next breath because God gives it to us, but to depend upon God, not only for our next breath, but in our daily lives and to depend upon God for our forgiveness and depend upon God for our eternal future with Him in His kingdom. To simply depend upon Him. How do we gain entry into the kingdom of God? Well, you simply receive it by faith. By faith. With a childlike dependence that just trusts simply in Jesus. We, don't, we never graduate beyond that. And so we need to come to God that way. Which brings us to our third and our related question Jesus answers here. How to inherit eternal life? Well, let's look at the next story verse, from verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy the man said when jesus heard this he said to him you still lack one thing sell everything you have and give to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven he says then come follow me when he heard this the man became very sad because he was a man of great wealth Now, this incident, it it again ties in very, very closely with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector because, you see, like the Pharisee, this rich ruler, he was a man who kind of kept rules and commandments. He was a guy that behaved uprightly, which, like the Pharisee, caused this guy to rate his own and other people's performance based on their outward observable behaviour. That's how he rated people, on the bell curves. And he rated himself really, really high. He even says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So so he doesn't come empty-handed, okay, to to, to receive any gift or anything like that. He comes with his hands full, full, in order to try and earn his own way. But to correct this guy's misunderstanding of human goodness, okay, to correct him, Jesus says, don't call me good, unless you think, I'm God. Because only God is truly good. Only God is truly righteous. Because you see, like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable, this rich young ruler, he was just kidding himself. He was kidding himself that he was good enough in God's sight. And so Jesus tests him with some commandments. Now, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't bring out these commandments as a kind of a checklist. Jesus doesn't bring them out as a way that the guy can kind of earn eternal life. He brings them out as a way to show the guy that he's not good, that he's not as good as he thinks he is. It's as if Jesus is saying, mate, just stop kidding yourself. You've asked the right question here, how to inherit eternal life, but you think the answer somehow lies in yourself and in your own goodness. No one is good, says Jesus, except God alone. And so let's bring this conversation around to God, Jesus is saying. You know, you don't just need to change your view on human goodness, that people are good and I'm really good. You need to change your God. That's what he's ultimately saying to this man. You need to change your God. You need to stop being so self-reliant. You know, stop trusting and depending upon yourself and in your wealth. And you need to start being like a little child. And you need to start depending and trusting on God and hey, his goodness and so you see this this young ruler he was deluded and it's not that hard to be deluded in life you know this this guy was so deluded though about his own righteousness he even thinks that he's obeying god's commands you know he says all of them i've kept jesus shows you no, no you haven't you're failing dismally you're even worshiping the wrong god which is the very first of God's commandments. Do you remember the first commandment in Exodus 20? You shall have no other gods but me. Jesus says to this guy, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, then come and follow me. And then at this, the rich young ruler, he became really sad because he was a man of great wealth. And I'm sure that this applies a lot, to many, many people in our culture, maybe to some of us. You see, can you see what Jesus is saying to this, this young, rich guy? If you zoom in on verse 22, what is Jesus really saying to this man? As I think sometimes we, we, our emphasis is in the wrong place. You see, Jesus' most important words in verse 22, his most important two words here, are not sell and give, okay, his most important two words here in verse 22 are follow me, follow me. Because you see, as we read through the Gospels, Jesus doesn't call every person around to sell their property and give it away. He doesn't do that. But Jesus does call every person to follow him. That's what Jesus demands of us. The reason he told this man to sell everything was because this man's wealth and possessions were preventing him from following Jesus. This man's um, wealth and possessions had become a god to him, you know, to the point where he was worshiping them. And so Jesus asked him to give those things up, so that he can worship the real God. That's what's going on here. But as we see in the text, the young ruler he couldn't do it. He couldn't. And so rightly, he went away really sad. And now this story raises a a very important question, very important for each of us. And that is, who or what are we worshipping? You know, who or what are we... if, If we think about our lives honestly, who are we giving our time and our energy and our money to? You know, who are we pouring ourselves out in worship to? Because we're all worshipping. The answer to that question, you see, is the answer to where your faith lies. The answer to that question is the answer to who or what you are really following. And it's an important question to ask ourselves. And it's an important question to ask ourselves often, I think. One way to diagnose if we're anything like the rich young ruler in this story, and I think often we just write it off and think we're not like him, but you know what? Ask yourself, is there anything that I am unwilling to give up in order to follow Jesus? Is there anything I'm unwilling to part with? Maybe that house that I'm, you know, that I've worked all my life towards and I'm slaving away to pay this big mortgage. Maybe the car, maybe the clothes, maybe the comforts. Maybe the career, maybe living here. I don't know. Is there anything for you? Because you see, if there's anything at all that gets in between you and Jesus, in between you and following him, affecting your ability to truly give yourself to him wholeheartedly, then you need to let it go. You really, truly do. You need to let it go. You need to let go of your idols so that by faith... If you let go of the idols, then by faith you can follow and take hold of Jesus. The only one who can save you, the only one who can give you eternal life. Maybe for you though, you're like, you know, I can't let it go though. I'm married to it or, you know, I gave birth to it. And if that's the case, you're right. You can't let it go. You shouldn't let it go. But here's the thing, he or she still needs to be in their right place. Family easily becomes an idol, easily becomes something we put in front of Jesus. And it's still, he or she or they still need to have their right place because you see, if your faith is in Jesus, if you are following Jesus, really truly are, then Jesus will be your top priority. Jesus will be the one that you worship. And everything else, as good as those wonderful things are, They'll just be gifts from Jesus to be enjoyed, yes, but not to be worshipped. And so, friends, I'm just going to wrap things up real quick and sum things up. God's message for the lost in today's passage is simply how to respond. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Well, how to respond? How should we respond if we want to be found? Well, firstly, how to be right with God? Be honest about yourself come clean, bow humbly before God and cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, and do it often. How to enter the kingdom of God? Well, receive it. Simply receive it by faith with a childlike dependence that trusts simply in the Lord Jesus. And how to inherit eternal life? Well, let go. Let go of those idols whether it be yourself, your works, your worldly treasures, whatever, let go so that by faith you can follow and take hold of Jesus, the only one who can save you. After all, you see, eternal life, eternal life, it can only be inherited. That was one good thing about what the rich young ruler said to Jesus. He he used the word inherited. Eternal life can only be inherited. It cannot be earned. And what's an inheritance? An inheritance. It's a gift. Who's it a gift from? It's a gift from someone who has died. Usually, someone you've had a very, very close relationship with. Well, to be made right with God, to gain entry to God's kingdom, to in- to inherit eternal life. That's a gift. It's a gift from the one who died for you. You know, the one who died. From the one who rose again and who now demands a response from you, from the one who who now wants a relationship a close one with you, why so that he can freely bequeath this wonderful gift to you? That's all I got, <laughs> so that's a wrap. but why don't each of us now take a bit of time to to just kind of reflect look at the screen, look at these questions look at kind of how I've summed up Jesus answers and take a couple of minutes now to reflect on that and then to talk to God honestly and openly and to do business with him on any of these areas that you need to so Dave's going to give us a couple of minutes he's not going to rush this and take some time to talk to God